0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 66 of Elves, Rings, and Nerdy Things. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean, here with my other co-host, Samuel. Samuel, how are you?
1: I'm great, Sean. How are you?
0: I had a moment where I about <laughs> lost my shit the other day and I want to get you early before your kid is old enough to do this and just please God, don't be this kind of parent. If you are this kind of parent, shame on you. This happens to me. I feel like it's got to be more often than the average person, but I feel like I always get stuck behind a parent, who thinks it's super cute that their kid does adult things that they shouldn't be doing in public. And my examples of this, or I have two examples. The first one is when parents have their toddler pay for things and the parent isn't thinking about the line of people behind them watching their child slowly hand money to the cash register. The change is made. They hand the money and the change back to the child. The child drops the coins, and the parent the whole time is just sitting there going, "Oh, that's so cute. Pay, pay the cashier the money, Timmy." And I'm behind him, knowing that if the child was just in the cart and the parent paid on their own, I would be out of there by now. And it drives me nuts. And it happened again yesterday at Costco. A, s- a simple. Let me look at the receipt and then mark that you paid. And it took probably six times as long to get through that GD line because I had a stupid parent up a front, like in the front, just wasting everybody's time. And I just want to get you early before you start to do this. It's not cute. You're inconsiderate in terms of everybody else's time and think of others.
1: And that's a pretty good bigger uh, rant. I had two two reactions. I'll go first with my genuine reaction, which is I understand exactly where you're coming from, and that type of thing would frustrate the hell out of me too. As a parent. Oh God. <laughs> just just you wait until you have a kid who's like just on the border of being capable of doing something that's like actually kind of impressive, and it is very cute. So I don't find it impressive. Well, but that's the thing. You will be surprised by what will impress okay. you because you, it you, you will go from, Oh my God, this thing can, can, can't do anything, can barely move, can't keep its own head up. You know, it can eat and poop and cry. And then they're taking their steps. They're putting words together. They're pushing buttons. They're, I they're recognizing know. things. Everything is cute. That being said in public, When there are other people, that is an opportunity for you, the parent, to model to the child how to be considerate of others. (laughs) Don't waste people's time. Yeah, don't waste other people's time. It's it's not it's not cute to them. They're in a hurry. Um, anyway. my other my other reaction was when you first said having kids do adult things, I was like, you know, where's this going? It was like, you know, checking out online, (laughs) but you should be like, and I was behind this. Behind this parent, and they're having their kid manage the return of their like marital aid at the store <laughs> or whatever. It's like, take mommy's dildo back. Okay, yeah, like, get the res- get it. A- yeah, get that's get way too for- adult. I know. I'm just kidding. Check that, that's- Took that a. Anyway, we can put a little you know,
0: strange way.
1: You can put that little little ma restriction on this episode. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about how t- children are awesome and terrible at the same time. We're here to talk about the latest edition in our H.P. Lovecraft short story review series. Uh, Today we're talking about The Thing on the Doorstep. What did you think of this one, Sean?
0: I'm coming to the realization that his stories that are told in the first person, like it's somebody retelling Mm -hmm. a story, Mm -hmm. I tend to not like them as much. Okay. Okay. Because and this story to me is a prime example of why I'm not enjoying them. I feel like I get less detail and less information. Okay, which I think is the point of this kind of storytelling. The the storyteller is also kind of in the dark on some things, and that gives you a certain flavor or an amuse bouche when it comes to like the story itself. But in this story in particular. I think it's a disservice because there's so much that is hinted at Mm -hmm. in terms of what's going on. Oh, gosh. What's the names? Ed and Edward Edward and
1: Edward Derby and Daniel Upton are the.
0: Yeah. And Daniel Upton. Dan is our narrator throughout. But Edward has a moment where, like, I want to know what he's doing in Maine. Like looking for these stones in the middle of the forest. Mm-hmm. I want to know what these cult like seances are that his wife Azanath is like conducting. Mm-hmm. And there's there's so much that is hinted at, but you don't get a lot of detail. And I feel like recently the stories that we've read of his, where there is no narrator, he goes into a lot more detail. And I really enjoyed those aspects of okay. those stories. But what did you think? I mean, I'll say I liked it. It was good. Yeah. Well,
1: I I liked it. I read it in. So uh, in complete disclosure, I have read this one before. I I forgot that I had read it. It had been a while. Wasn't? I I think on my second read through. Now I understand. I, it is more memorable now i might have just been reading it too quickly or or for whatever reason the first time and then i didn't remember it but i there's some pretty memorable images in this especially at the end and just Mm -hmm. the idea the idea it's the the story itself is creepy we should probably do a quick recap quick plot summary but i'll give a long story short i enjoyed it i understand why you didn't and i think that your some of your critiques ring true to some of the criticisms that the story has received by others as well.
0: And it's not, it's not that I didn't like it. I liked it. I just wanted, I feel like it could have been better.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's roughly in line with some of the criticisms that I was reading okay. where it's kind of a middle of the road story. You know, it, it doesn't reach the heights of others. It's not as bad as, as it could be. I think it it is helped by the fact that it's a pretty compelling, uh, pretty 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 compelling story from a like a just the mechanics of it which we mm-hmm. should probably dive into so you you've hinted at the the two characters the two main characters edward derby and daniel upton uh, upton is our narrator and, and upton kind of relates this story hinting at kind of the this shocking act of violence that he commits at the very beginning of the story so you know that things are going to trend toward the strange and the violent and he relates his childhood friend who's, he's significantly older. I think he's eight years older than his mm-hmm. friend Derby, but Derby was always very precocious and, you know, was writing poetry and was engaging in intellectual matters. And so they could connect and they had a shared interest in some of these things. And as they grew up, Upton kind of becomes more, just, you know, uh, traditionally successful. He goes to Harvard, he becomes an architect. He's working in Arkham, fictional Arkham, Massachusetts. Derby is <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit more sheltered by primarily by his parents. He eventually his mother dies, and he and that's a, a big shock to him. And he goes to college where he kind of falls in with this crowd of how are they described as decadents and esoterics or something like that. Kind of, you know, the you get the, the hint that these are kind of people who are experimenting with the occult. And among this group is this woman named Azanath Waite, who is described as a native of Innsmouth, Massachusetts which for those of you who are familiar with the work of H.P. Lovecraft you know Innsmouth is the setting of the relatively well-known story Shadow over Innsmouth and there's some 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 fishy things going on with Azanath and it's related that her father was a kind of well-known sorcerer type guy and Azanath and and Derby eventually become married and over I think it's a couple of years, right, Sean? That they're yeah, that they're the married. story yeah, on. the
0: story takes place over like three years.
1: And and you get the sense that Azanath is kind of domineering, very strong personality. And Derby, Edward Derby, the the friend of the narrator, he starts to act strangely. And he he is seen driving his, his wife's car when he had not been, he had not learned how to drive. And sometimes he will disappear in the car, and then he'll be driven back by a chauffeur or a mechanic. There are a couple of conversations in which uh, Derby kind of confides in Upton that uh, his wife, Azanath is doing some strange things, and um, it's almost implied that she is somehow either possessed by or overly influenced by this, her father, the Ephraim the weight, this, this allegedly deceased sorcerer, and... The story culminates with the kind of revelation that Ephraim, the father of the the wife figure, has learned how to basically take over the body, transfer his soul into the body of another. And he did that with his wife. And then through his wife, he's doing that with, with Derby. And he kind of, what is it, Jaeger is the term from Pacific Rim?
0: Yeah, so... Ephraim Azenath's dad possessed Azenath, and we get the idea that Ephraim's spirit or soul is now inside of his daughter, mm-hmm. and he put Azenath's soul into his old body, which he then poisoned and killed, and now he's trying to. I think the the whole concept is Azenath was upset that. She wasn't a man. Yeah. So when it, now we have Ephraim trying to possess a man. <laughs>
1: yeah. And they the describe whole... I think they've it's implied kind of that Derby was selected because he was weak-minded. Kind of Weak minded, but but also gifted and creative. And through his through the possession of of Derby, Ephraim, you know, Asenath slash Ephraim, but really it's the soul of, of Ephraim the father. He's going out in the, as you mentioned, going out into the woods in Massachusetts and finding these old ruins and descending down into these subterranean chambers. And he sees horrible things. I think they they drop a couple of hints that it's shoggoths, which is a which is a race of of creatures from Lovecraft's mythos. And then uh, you have Upton, the narrator, kind of becoming more and more aware of what's happening as Derby is kind of regaining control over his own mind and sharing with with Upton what's happening. Including there's a very fateful car ride where in the middle of the car ride
0: after he gets possessed,
1: he gets repossessed. And so this is something that can happen remotely. And then Upton has Derby committed to a sanatorium. Hopefully, you know, thinking he can he can recover after a particularly kind of manic episode where he shows up on the door or he shows up to his house. And eventually, while he's in the sanatorium, he's repossessed. And Sean implied or Sean explained that. When one soul takes over another soul, they switch places. and it turns out that Derby had murdered his wife and buried her in the basement and well, I should say the the body of his wife. And when those the, his body was repossessed by the the soul of Ephraim, he awoke basically buried in the basement in his wife's decaying corpse and it was in that guise. That he appeared he became the titular thing on the doorstep and he knocked on the door using his telltale knock of you know three strokes and then a pause and then two more strokes. so Upton knows it was him mm-hmm. and he he he's handed a note and he, he he reads the note that explains all of these weird happenings and it's at the the thing on the doorstep or his his friend Derby's insistence that he then goes to the sanatorium and shoots the body of Derby. Possessed by the soul of Ephraim. And that's how we round out our story.
0: And then we discover that the only way to truly end the cycle is to cremate the body.
1: Yeah, so he's trying to get the body cremated.
0: Yeah, and the story leaves off with Dan, our narrator, worried that uh, as long as Edward's body remains uncremated, there is a potential of him now being possessed by... Ephraim or Ephraim or whatever, however you want to pronounce the name. But yeah, like overall, good story. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, But imagine- like I said, there's just so many instances throughout this where I'm like, you're hinting at things that would be so cool if you gave us more detail. Yeah. And he just flirts around all of those things that I think would be riveting.
1: Yeah, you you could. This would be. I, mean, let me see. I wonder how the story would be if you had multiple perspectives. You know, you had a series of chapters and maybe a couple of different point of view characters where you had you had Upton, then you had Derby, and maybe you ended with Azanath or Ephraim or somebody that kind of tied it all together. There's also, you know, mentioning of the cult. There's like a cult leader from England who comes over. <laughs> it's like mentioned, there's a couple of throwaway lines. And I thought that was going to go somewhere for a second. And so you, you could have maybe some examples of this experiment failing or something like that with with these other potential figures but the the criticisms i that i read are kind of in line with what you're saying where it's it doesn't really have the you don't get the cosmic horror aspect of it it's really more of a just kind of a creepy uh a creepy horror story about a, a sorcerer and the the cosmic stuff is really more hinted at we don't get the details of Mm -hmm. of what they're doing we don't it's not like the the dunwich horror where you you know that there's a cosmic entity that is directly involved and and manipulating things and is is you know just on the border of being brought into this world here it's like okay so why was ephraim trying to achieve immortality was it in order to open a gate did he need the special like magical abilities of derby or somebody within that circle what's going on there you you could have had that
0: yeah, it. the only references you really get are the fact that Edward as a young man was fascinated by the occult and the Necronomicon in particular at Miskatonic University. Yep. He like studied the Necronomicon and a couple other uh, occult documents. Yep. And then that leads to his meeting of Azanath at one of these university like get-togethers. But yeah, I mean it's a it's it's the stuff that we want is kind of always on the periphery mm-hmm. of, of this particular story. Uh, and I, I like it and I feel like it would be a great adaptation. I mean, is this is well, Lovecraft there, open or public domain yet? I
1: believe, I believe so. I think that's why I was able to get like the free Kindle edition. Yeah. Oh, that's but right. Th- yeah. There was a r- very recent Hollywood adaptation. So 2022 a movie called Suitable Flesh was released, starring Heather Graham. I, Heather Graham is the only name that I knew when I read it for the first time, and then a couple of other just kind of working actors, and then Barbara Crampton, whose name was familiar, and I couldn't place it, so I dug into a little yeah. more. She she starred in two earlier Lovecraft adaptations: The Reanimator and From Beyond. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what it was that were i think pretty well received and she was kind of a like a horror a well-known horror actress back in the 80s and 90s let's see she was in puppet master chopping mall yeah reanimator and from beyond which i think both of those are based on lovecraft yeah and so that so that that piqued my interest i am interested in in watching that that adaptation and then the other thing that jumped out to me was, well, there's another one of those radio theater adaptations of this. So I think that we you could be able to consume this similar to the Dumbed Horror as radio a radio show. radio show. And then there's a bunch of connections to this story with not only, obviously, the expanded Cthulhu mythos. We get references to the Necronomicon. We get references to Innsmouth. We get references to... Uh, Scatonic. Miskatonic, Arkham, Massachusetts, Azathoth, some of the other, the Shoggoth creatures. But then you also have characters who are either who share names with, or I think it's m- more the case that you have later authors who reference characters from this story in their own works. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have, let's see, you have Fritz Lieber kind of wrote a wrote a story in 1966 that talks about the buildings designed by Daniel Upton. So he was an architect, and then Fritz Lieber talking about the Miskatonic University buildings that were designed by Upton. Apparently, Ark, or Upton is a family name from Salem, Massachusetts, which is one of the kind of fictional. Arkham is a fictionalized version of Salem. You have let's see here. So a lot of people read, that there are references to Robert E. Howard, Clark Ashton Smith, in the who are kind of authors within Lovecraft's orbit. Back when he was alive. And then a lot of people think that to a certain extent, the description of young Derby was based on Lovecraft as a child, like he being very sheltered, being somewhat precocious. And, you know, it does it's not a complete, complete ripoff of his own life, but there are some inspirations there. And I have to, and I will, you know, I'll say that's something that I thought about as I was reading before, before doing some research on the story after I finished the finish the short story, so there's a, there's a lot of fun connections here, even though the story itself is not as well regarded in the mythos,
0: yeah, for the ending of our Lovecraft short story series, I don't know. this was up there. This was probably like my number two.
1: oh really? okay.
0: yeah, I think done with horror was my favorite out of these so okay. far. Color out of space was good. Mm-hmm. honestly, Call of Cthulhu might be last last, yeah. well, I- on my on my list. It
1: really, you know, it's one where... And that was the only
0: one that I came into this having read previously.
1: Well, you know, I think we reserve the right to return to the H.P. Lovecraft works when we need to. I don't know when when we're going to get the next season of Critical Role, Legend Mm. of Vox Machina. Uh, I think we're still waiting on release dates for some of the other fantasy products that we've been following, Rings of Power, etc. So there's tons of other short stories, and I think we could probably... You know, if we have enough time, we could do something like Shadow over Innsmouth, which again, Innsmouth is referenced a lot in this one, and it's it's a fun one.
0: I just really want a full-fledged Hollywood adaptation. We know Guillermo del Toro was working on uh, At the Mountains of Madness. I think it was 2021 or 22. He released a something on his Instagram that was like a CGI, like test footage for his movie that he was working on, but he's been working on it for like 10 to 12 years or something. So yeah, some test footage I don't think really means much, (laughs) but it's at least a hopeful sign that we would get a good horror adaptation of HP Lovecraft. But
1: well, you know, I, I'm not saying that, that, we are at that level because obviously we are not. But the the X Files had I can't I think it was the I can't remember what seasons what numbered season it was, but they had I think two new seasons created within the past ten years after kind of you know end ended the show in the decades ago, and that was I think done in large part because of the X Files files, which was Kumail Nanjiani. You know, he grew up as a huge X Files fan. And he kind of revisited the series and kind of really broke down a lot of the episodes and the and the uh, myth arcs. And obviously, you know, he's established on his own. But maybe what we need is a more of a more more coverage of H P Lovecraft. Let's get H P Lovecraft trending. That's what the world needs right now is Lovecraft oh. in this in this era of partisan politics and and you know, children holding up checkout lines. What we need more of is H P Lovecraft.
0: Next week, Sam and I are opening up some fantasy cookbooks and we are going to create a fantasy meal. And we're going to record ourselves, not cooking the meal, because that's ridiculous, but post having cooked meal, we will uh, do a video and we will show off our meals, talk about how we cooked it. The inspiration of the recipe from the cookbook that we uh, will choose. And we just thought it'd be a fun little one off thing. Currently on the Facebook group, and we shared it on our Facebook uh, business post as well for Elves, Rings, and Dirty Things. We have a poll going for which mead you would like me to make from the Elder Scrolls cookbook. I think currently Juniper. Berry Mead is the number one at the moment. I voted for Nord Mead, but we have a couple other options. There's a traditional, there's Horning Brew Mead, a couple names that you should remember from Skyrim if you played that game. So we got that. And then we're still not ready to announce it yet because we're not going to announce it until we know it's a sure thing. But we have a cool, hopefully, two part episode coming around early March that we're excited about and hopefully you will be excited about it when you hear about it as well
1: indeed alright Sean well it's been fun to dip into the HP Lovecraft Hulu mythos with you and like I said we reserve the right to return but we've got some other stuff that Sean has just outlined so we will see you all next week when we go to our fantasy cookbooks and this becomes a full on cooking podcast somehow alright everybody bye then